Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a podcast by practical e-commerce. Welcome to e-commerce conversations by practical e-commerce. My name is Carrie Murdoch. The founder of retention science is an expert on using data, lots of data to grow e-commerce revenues. But beyond that, he's a gifted Taiwanese born mathematician who proves what intelligence, hard work, and perseverance can accomplish. He's Jerry Zhao, and he joins us today. Well, Jerry, thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Jerry, we are here to talk about the use of data for e-commerce businesses and uh, the broad topic of using data to make decisions. Your company, Retention Science, we're anxious to address as well. But my first question for you today, Jerry, is the use of data, uh, of course, is booming. Uh, retention Science uses data to help, help customers. Tell us about your product. What does Retention Science do? How does it use data to help e-commerce businesses grow their business? Sure. Uh, broadly, we think of Retention Science as a data aggregator. So on one end, we collect data directly from the businesses that we work with, and we leverage those data and then combine those data with third-party data sources, whether it's U.S. Census Bureau data on demographic information on the consumers, or as well as other third-party data sources like Rapoleaf, um, Data Logics, uh, Connection Engine Score, Cloud Score, um, which measures social influence, as well as other type of uh, data sources. And We consolidate all those different data sources into one to help businesses understand what their customers actually look like and what their interests might be, what's their propensity to purchase, and then build a recommendation engine around those data that we collected and then help businesses figure out what's the best way to re-engage existing customers. If Carrie is less interested in certain type of product and prefer to be um, left alone versus Jerry, is open to very frequent communication and product promotions, then we should be able to treat Carrie and Jerry very, very differently. So the, the purpose of retention science is to really enable businesses to leverage the type of data they have on their hand about their uh, customers and then ultimately create a much more engaging and relevant uh, customer journey for them. So each time they talk to their customers, it feels less more like a marketing campaign but more like a casual conversation that you and I are having um, at the one-to-one level. So does that assume that Carrie and Jerry are both customers of that company? Um, yeah. Oftentimes it's an, um, it, uh, it assumes that we, we, we assume that Jerry and Carrie have pre, um, uh, opt-in into some sort of communication with the business. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Jerry or Carrie is already a customer. Carrie can be simply a 
a subscriber of the company's uh, email newsletter, and Jerry has enabled to receive mobile push notification on his iPhone uh, for uh, this particular uh, business app. But that doesn't mean that Jerry and Carrie have already purchased something. Um, it could be that Jerry and um, Jerry have purchased two items before, and then Carrie actually never converted. So our goal is to actually help businesses um, figure out if they haven't converted, what's the best way to convert those customers, and what are those interests um, and interests that align with things and the, the products and the services that the business sells, versus if for Carrie. Um, who has actually never converted? Um, what, what's the what's the robot? Is it that we can provide care with some sort of promotional offer to get him through the hump? And we try to identify those opportunities and then figure out the best way to reengage those um, existing customers that are known to our database. Does your platform is it does is it work for is it very large companies only? Is it work for smaller companies? What's the what's the kind of the target of a retention science customer? Sure. For retention science, we do tend to work with larger business enterprises. So um, the reason being that most of our models and machine learning algorithms and most of the proprietary technology that we have developed, it requires a lot of volume to make the certain assumptions and prediction accurate. The more data that comes through our platform, the, the better and the more in, um, more predictive uh, our models can be. So in, in a data science world, we call that st- statistical significance. So when we run a, a model, we need to make sure that there's enough of information that's going through the model in order for us to predict that, hey, this this outcome, this assumption can be fairly, uh, is, is actually fairly accurate. If you have a smaller uh, business and let's say with 50,000 users' um, email addresses, and out of that 50,000 email addresses, maybe you only have um, two thousands of them that have actually made a purchase with you, that becomes a very small data set. And uh, based on that data pool, it, it is actually more difficult to predict what might happen afterwards because there's not enough of uh, data points for us to analyze. And as a result, uh, we tend to engage with bigger companies because they have invested in the infrastructure to make sure that they can collect the right type of data. But now, it doesn't mean that we cannot work with smaller businesses. It's just that um, it, it tends to work better when the business has a lot more volume in terms of uh, their uh, sales transactions, their customer account, their the number of data points that they can collect um, on the business. Say, say I own an e-commerce company, a smaller e-commerce company. We're going to talk a, a general data a general data example here. I own a smaller e-commerce company. Say it does $5 million in revenue. Say I have 2,500 SKUs, and perhaps my industry is I sell cooking supplies. Generally speaking, uh, not necessarily what retention science products offering is, but generally speaking, as a merchant in that for that size, what are some general uses of data that I should be aware of and I should be using? Absolutely, and I think at five million mark, there's definitely a lot, a lot of opportunity to continue to grow. 
um, grow the revenue and, and peace. And I think at 2,500 SKUs, that's not too terribly small. And so the idea is to figure out if you collect the right kind of data in terms of where most of your traffic is coming from, what do, what do you, most of your repeat customers look like? Are they between the age of 25 to 35, and most of them live on the, um, on the East Coast versus West Coast? Um, in terms of cooking supplies, like, do you know that because, let's say, Carrie lives in Colorado, and as a result, he tends to, um, let's say, grill more, versus Jerry lives in Southern California, and then Jerry tends to have more, eat more salad, so he doesn't really uh, need certain type of cook, uh, cooking utensils or um, uh, hardware. So there's a lot of things that um, the business can actually collect about the user experiences, but well as things that they're buying, uh, consumer behaviors that oftentimes give uh, business operators like ourselves a lot of visibility into what your customers are looking for from you. Um, I think that the key oftentimes of, as we talk about a retention science is that the key to a customer's heart in the long term is that you want to make sure you don't bombard them with so many different information where everybody these days as a customer, you probably bombarded with different types of promotion, all this information overload. But if you can somehow figure it out truly what your customers are looking for, what they're thinking about, what kind of, um, you know, let's say you're a cooking company, like if they're looking for some sort of um, community to learn more about uh, interesting recipes or just anything that they can get feedback on, right? And that's why uh, product reviews are very important because oftentimes when people are buying things online, they want to know what other people have said about the items before they make that commitment. And so they don't have to deal with the process of, you know, sending um, an item back to you. And also you, don't, you, you also don't want to deal with chargeback and all that stuff, just not good for business. So at the end of the day, I think leveraging data um, and using working with companies like Retention Science, um, I think the end of the day, it's really about creating a customer journey that is relevant, that is timely, and that is informative for your customers. You, you, you leverage those different data points to truly, truly understand the demographic um, um, uh, audience and, and uh, of your audience, and so you learn to speak to them in a much more attentive way. Um, we, we are in such a we are in the era of sort of. Um, oftentimes, you hear a lot of uh, buzzword like big data. What does that mean? It re it's really nothing new. Um, and having been in the industry for a long time, and having found in my own e-commerce, I, I always think about like people um, now talk about big data. It's really nothing new, other than. Now they're just greater access to all the data that we've been sitting on and for, for, for a decade. But now just there's greater focus on it and there's um, easier access and easier ways to collect those data that make them become available to marketers like ourselves. And as a result, if you want to grow your business in the most thoughtful way and in a way that's measurable that you can forecast, it's really, really important to start tracking the right kind of data points in order for you to drive certain meaningful decisions. And from a marketing standpoint, certainly leveraging those data points to help you determine what's the right type of marketing um, messaging, uh, messaging tactic and overall strategy uh, for your business. And I think that, that that's very, very important. So, under our, our scenario here for the merchant that we're describing, the $5 million revenue merchant, the hypothetical merchant that sells cooking supplies, so that merchant may be using a, you know, a platform that, that may not necessarily lend itself to personalization or changing offers. So once, 
once the merchant understands, yeah, I need to know if someone's living in Southern California or if they're living in Colorado or if they're 30 years old or 55 years old, I need to understand all that, and they're gathering that data, how do they go from that data to this platform that they have that they don't know how to vary what they're offering folks from that platform? Sure. So I think that's um, and that's a really great uh, follow-on question, Carrie. I, I think now um, the, the the question is no longer, and that I think the the industry is no longer excited about just big data. But right now, it's really more about what to do with those data now that we get a hold of them. And I think that's why, uh, personally, I, I think that retention science does add value to uh, business operators as well as marketers because we're trying to take that to the next level and then left data to drive, um, make actionable insights. And when we say actionable insights, it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's about taking those data points and figuring out what to do with them. So oftentimes, um, marketers with more lim- a little more re- limited resources start off with being able to segment their uh, customer database. So creating different types of cohort is oftentimes a first step. So a couple examples of a cohort. Um, you could uh, potentially identify certain um, behavior attributes that tell us that, okay, these are, uh, these, these are the type of customers that only um, purchase, uh, in, uh, let's say, um, you know, uh, barbecue uh, uh, utensils and, and, and things that are uh, more for outdoor. And then you can potentially identify that uh, Carrie has historically always purchase bigger items uh, versus Jerry always purchase sort of the smaller ticket items. And then having that kind of insight into those information and how consumers behave, then ultimately you can create different kinds of cohort based on their average order value, based on their repeat purchase rate, based on their interest in um, outdoor um, cooking uh, supplies versus indoor um, based on geography, like we talked about, um, you know, in the, in the Midwest versus the coast, um, and, and, you know, based on um, some of the more basic um, information like demographic or gender. There's a lot of things that we can think about to create a much more engaging customer journey and leveraging data to uh, kind of segment your customer uh, database into a couple cohorts, that's oftentimes the first uh, starting point. Once you understand what those customers' cohorts look like, meaning that you understand the customers' profiles uh, on a a higher level, you now can figure out how to speak to them, Um, knowing that, you know, if Jerry's 35 and Jerry oftentimes, um, you know, um, cooks in-house and purchase smaller items, and Carrie is, um, you know, uh, over 50 and then always kind of um, barbecues a lot and then always purchase bigger items, then all of a sudden you know that you should be talking to Jerry and Carrie in a very, very different fashion. You need to be communicating about different types of products as well as maybe potentially different frequency based on what season it is. So we know that if... Um, um, in the wintertime, um, you're probably busy skiing, and then you're not going to be really growing outdoor, and then, therefore, you need to change a different kind of marketing messaging to um, to Carrie versus, like, if Carrie's, um, as, a, as a customer, he's getting emails from you about, you know, the, the latest and the greatest barbecue tools in the wintertime, he's probably going to think in his head that, well, this information is really not that relevant to me because there's no way I can be barbecuing in, you know, negative 10. Um, and so... 
So these are these are the things that marketers really have to uh, marketers have to ask themselves. Like, how much time are they spending to understand um, just what their customers want and who the, what they look like? And once you have that kind of information, a lot of actions then can be derived from that. And of course, that's still you know your questions around like how how can they drive those decisions? And a lot of it is that um, you know data is supposed to provide you with a little more. Um, information versus a lot of a lot of times that most of us make decisions based on intuition. So I think being able to move from intuition to information-based decisions, it, it, it will make your marketing be, uh, tactics and um, the things that you're investing in become more measurable. And then hopefully in the long term, uh, it's trackable, and then you could actually clearly articulate, hey, this is the amount of revenue I've increased from five million dollars to now seven point five million, and this. 20 um, this 50% increase of $2.5 million that we just uh, saw this year was certainly because uh, we now know how to market to you know most of our customers better. Okay. Uh, Jerry, moving on, you're a contributor to Practically Commerce. You and I have met, and your story, your personal story, is moving and inspiring. Uh, you've shared with me. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us about kind of your childhood coming to America, your successes to date prior to prior to uh, starting retention science? So I, I guess to, um, you know, this goes back to about 20 years ago. Um, I was uh, around the age of 14. Um, I grew up in a single family, just my mom and I, and uh, the very first business venture I started was when I was around eight. I, I learned that I can go from uh, classroom to classroom and collect um, you know, and recycle plastic bottles, and I, I will be able to make equivalent of like two U.S. dollars a day. And so I would literally wait till after um, school every day, and then I would wait till all my classmates leave. And, and then I think that was my first experience about, I, I think that was an introduction to entrepreneurship because it's always about uh, thinking outside of box. It's always thinking about what kind of resources you can make um, that is accessible to you. And I'm a true believer of um, entrepreneurship is something that you know, there's a little bit of entrepreneurial in every single one of us, you know, whether you're a publisher, whether you're an e-commerce owner, and you're, you know, like all of us, uh, we're doing this because we're passionate about something that we're selling, whether it's a, a product that you find that you couldn't find on Amazon, and so you decide to build a site and selling it. Um, I have a really, really good friend that's selling bidets, and, you know, I asked about how he got into that, and it's, it's always really fascinating to um you know how those background stories support what they end up selling. So I guess my 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 childhood contributed to you know my, me being ultra motivated because growing up we have very limited resources. Um, I was always sort of thinking that there's a um, you know I, there's bigger there's something bigger out there and if I put my heart to it I can you know I can get it done. So I was very fortunate enough that I did well at school and uh, I had an opportunity to actually come come over to America. And so I actually uh, moved here at the age of 14 by myself without my parents and family, um, didn't know a word of English, and then um, came here, uh, ended up at a, um, a boarding home um, where they were my legal guardians and would take me to schools. And I didn't know much English, nor did I have much, many friends. And this was back in 1998, where eBay had just um, became really, really big. So I started selling um, random things on, on eBay, from DVDs to uh, Game Boy games, and now I'm dating myself a little bit, but I, I was that 
you know, nerdy kid that, you know, loved Game Boy. So I started selling Game Boy consoles, anything that I could find that I could get at a lower price that I know that if I put it on eBay uh, over a period of time through competitive bidding, uh, I might be able to make, you know, $5 or more. And those are even the good old days that you could still charging, shipping, and handling for like 5 bucks, 6 bucks, right? Those are the good old, good old days versus now. I, I remember when I, when I read some of the articles, and I have even written about an article about, you know, the – in order to stay competitive, now everybody's doing free shipping or even free shipping both way, and you know that certainly cuts down on profitability. But those are the good old days, and that's how I got started. And I think having those experiences and launching my own um, e-commerce platform, have understanding the ability to leverage a marketplace to drive traffic in which I can make money at the age of 15 and not having to hold on to inventory, that was such a beautiful concept to me versus I'm sure that a lot of our listeners, um, you know, some of them probably do drop shipping, some of them probably um, do have a warehouse and depends on how well the business is doing and, you know, you sometimes put, you're pushing inventory based on your supplier's needs or you have different deals and so there's a lot of different things that are driving how marketing is being done and so I think having those experiences and doing it myself um, really gives me a vast base of knowledge to um, start my uh, very first uh, technology able company um, which was centered around um, affiliate marketing and then uh, and then I, I started that back in 2010 and then I started my second company called Incentibox which stands for a box of incentives and that was a, a social media based referral marketing program and um, it, it's been really really interesting to kind of learn about all the sort of the, the the, the challenges business facing on the retention and loyalty space because what I have learned over time is that business can go as far as paying for customers to drive traffic to their site, right? But then I think the difficult the, the difficult part is being able to continue to reinvest and retain those customers. And so the challenge is certainly around making sure businesses continue to invest in um, their ability to understand customers so they can retain them or else all the early investment of um, driving traffic to acquire these customer leads eventually all go to waste and because I have that first encounter in starting my own business and having seen those um, sort of in, um, marketing investment on the acquisition side goes wasted um, and having started loyalty um, and referral programs and um, ultimately it ended up with concept of retention science. So we started retention science back in, 20, um, in 2012, and, um, and that was the, the, the era in which data became much more accessible. And so I, um, you know, because of all the experience and all the background I've had, then the idea was born out of there. Okay. Jerry, we are actually, we, we are past our uh, allotted time here. Let me ask you just, just a couple of quick, uh, quick questions. Uh, uh, there are merchants that are listening to this that that are have started a business, an e-commerce business. They may be struggling. Uh, they may be trying to find their way. Smaller merchants, entrepreneurs. What's your advice to those people that are listening to this? That, especially given your success with retention science, someone just starting a business. What do you, as a fellow entrepreneur, what do you tell them? Sure. Um, I, I I would say. Um um, probably know so much that, that I've seen success myself, but I think as a fellow entrepreneurs who have struggled and have really kind of gone from small to now have a, a large team, I, I, I would really share with fellow merchants and entrepreneurs that um, if you believe in it and if you feel passionate about it, um, you know, don't give up. 
I think it's a lot easier to say than done. Um, and this is my third company now, and I wouldn't say that I've had a lot of success to get to where I am today. It certainly took a lot of failures and a lot of learning, a lot of struggles, a lot of, um, you know, maxing out my, you know, my credit card to get my last inventory in and then trying to figure out how to sell them. Um, I think many of us, and if not 99% of us, have all been through there. And I think the key to success is really finding something that you feel passionate about selling, right? If you love days, if you love, um, you know, personalized, you know, um, stationary goods, or if it's something that you just have a personal connection with, and, and as long as you understand that there's a true market opportunity, and when I say true market opportunity, meaning that, you know, that this is not something, you know, Amazon or Walmart or any one of our big sort of big guys that are out there, the, the obvious ones that are sort of investing into this, right? Because obviously they will always have more resources and always have more better technology to support their uh, operation. And, you know, going head on there is just not, you know, it, and unfortunately it just might not be a smart business decision. So I think as long as you feel that you've done enough competitive analysis and you really understand that there's a true business opportunity uh, to go into, um, you know, starting this business, then I would say go, go at it. For purposes of our listeners, we've been visiting with Jerry Zhao. Jerry is the founder and CEO of Retention Science. We've discussed his company, Retention Science. That's retentionscience.com retentionscience.com. And Jerry Joe, we want to thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you very much, Gary. It's been a pleasure.